Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today I'm playing excerpts from a panel I moderated at the recent Advanced Technology Academic Research Center IT Modernization Summit. My guests on the panel were Margie Graves, the Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Federal Government, and Stephen Rice, the Deputy CIO at the Homeland Security Department. First, we hear from Margie Graves. We are so excited about the progress that has been made. But if you see, um, as we as we talked about the layout over the last year, we started with a vision, and then we took it from the vision to implementation, action, and then result. So we're going to build upon that in the new year in the following manner. First of all, I'm going to talk about um, reskilling, and that's part of our uh, 21st century workforce agenda. We all know in the IT arena that the real way that we get talent into the equation is to increase the pipeline, and you have to start early in the cycle of learning to increase that pipeline. So we're working with communities out in in the uh, entire United States to identify models where uh, individual states have taken that concept and said, I'm going to start with uh, the support of the governor and the legislature. I'm going to move that to the support of the business community to commit to hire these individuals, as well as the governmental community to hire these individuals when they come out of these programs, and then ultimately moving that down to uh, the K through 12 and college graduates. So the other thing that we're talking about in that arena is looking at capability sets and aptitude, constant curiosity, and Uh, tenacity, which are the attributes that we think are relevant in the cyber realm, for the most part, uh, to make sure that that people have the right skill set opportunities to be able to engage in this education and to be able to move into that workforce. So we're very heavily pursuing that. You saw the Reskilling Academy launched. We already have 400 plus applicants and we're going to have another checkpoint uh, tomorrow, and I expect that number to increase. So there's a huge demand for that reskilling uh, and for being able to, uh, to walk into these pipelines and be a part of this community. The second piece of the equation, we talked about the 52 tasks that were completed. Those were in concert with, um, with the IT modernization report, there were uh, other elements that came into play too. And that is the fact that we knew uh, that these were blockers uh, to the actual um, uh, success that could be achieved in the agencies. And those policies were actually leading people in the wrong direction. So if we want people to be cloud smart, we want them to be adopting uh, commercial services. However, we're putting a, a security policy in place that prevents them from working effectively in hybrid organizations or prevents them from um, actually adopting security uh, in the cloud. So those are the first two that we tackled. We said we have to get the policies to actually support what we're trying to achieve. And I think by the movement of the needle that you see that that's actually having an impact at this point in time. And then finally, um, I wanted to talk about the data strategy in the sense of this is probably the biggest area of expansion that we may have next year because it has a security element as well as it has a uh, commercial element of creating economic value and being open 
uh, with our data and having uh, innovation built on top of it. And then ultimately uh, making sure that the data within the federal government for our own decision-making purposes is used appropriately. Um, that's the area where we're going to have uh, probably a huge emphasis, and you'll see that in January starting with the, uh, with the data strategy. I actually met with um, the statistical agencies across the federal government uh, talking about how we would create um, sort of a, a research capability and an infrastructure that would support a constant exchange of statistical information in the appropriate manner, shared in the appropriate way, uh, so that uh, researchers in the United States can actually derive conclusions from that data because we have a treasure trove of data within the federal government. All right couple quick follow-ups, and there's so many. Let me just start with the easy one, the data strategy piece. We saw, I guess you guys put it out in the late summer or yes. mid-summer about the data strategy. Walk me through what's happened over the time between when you guys initially put that first data strategy out and where we're at potentially you know, early 2019. You've got comments you reviewed, I get that, but what were some of the trends or thinking or give me the broad, if you can, kind of perspective of that strategy. Well, one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we did was we co-create this data strategy with the, uh, the industry and academia partners that we work with on a regular basis. Um, to do that, the first thing we did was establish the larger principles. And these are, are sort of the, the mom and apple pie uh, kind of directional tone that we wanted to set. And we had people comment on those. We got a lot of uh, feedback. Uh, and then ultimately we went from that into best practices and then from best practices now we're doing actual proof points and incubator projects. So set the principles, please publish the best practices and then ultimately we move into the, um, into the actual proof points. I think where we're seeing the impact there is the kind of, of uh, submissions that we're getting for the proof points. Uh, and also the expectation that we're going to uh, offer prize challenges in uh, concert with GSA to actually allow some people to develop these concepts further. We're going to actually give seed money to that. And the commentary was generally around, uh, we would like to see more connection across the federal government between data sets that you wouldn't necessarily think uh, were connected, but when you ask a holistic question like, how do I solve the opioid crisis? It's not about just the medical part of the equation. It's not about just the law enforcement part of the equation. It's about economic uh, growth in a community. It's about uh, supporting people uh, in their communities with, uh, with programs that allow them to be educated and achieve that economic opportunity. So it's all of those things. It's education, it's the labor market, it's the medical community supporting uh, people who have addiction problems. It's the uh, law enforcement making sure that uh, there are, are uh, cutoffs on uh, people who are engaging in activities that actually support you know, that. So I just think the, the concept of being able to draw across multiple data sets to solve the bigger problems and the questions that get asked are holistic and they're not just one narrow sliver of the, uh, of the uh, data that's needed to answer them. And real quick, the proof points or the pilots, that's something that's coming as part of the first iteration <laughs> of the federal data strategy or they're happening now? Uh, they're happening uh, now Okay. and, um, and there has been some uh, request 
for input. GSA has been going through those projects that were put forward and there will be um, some selections at, uh, at a time in the future. It's being done somewhat like you would you know, look at any proposal that comes forward for, for seed money. That's the seed money part of the equation is going to be launched somewhat later. Once they go through the... But the proof points are, are, are coming in now, you okay. know, the, the business cases and things of that nature. We have to take a break. You just heard from Margie Graves, the deputy CIO of the federal government, speaking on a panel I moderated at the recent ATARC IT Modernization Summit. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. This week, I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent ATARC IT Modernization Summit. In this segment, we hear from Stephen Rice, the deputy CIO at the Homeland Security Department. You're really hearing themes out of OMB. Those themes kind of think about a modernization, modernization of technology, but modernization of technology for a department is really not just a technology discussion. It's really a modernization process. You also started seeing the theme about data, data-centric decision-making, data-central focus on the next generation of solutions. And you also started seeing about the cloud smart. If you think about it, the changes in the, uh, the environment where we can start taking advantage of public uh, cloud services, it allows a different level of conversation to take uh, place in an operating component. It allows you to have conversations with the CFO community about moving away from legacy investments, legacy uh, processes. It allows you also to have a conversation with the Chico. You start moving away from owning and operating equipment or even acquiring those services through third-party um, uh, contractor facilities. It allows you to start thinking about a skill set, starts allowing you to start talking about retooling and where you start having critical needs. And critical needs in uh, that area lines up with our people. And that lines up with the area of uh, cybersecurity. Within DHS, we're partnering with the Chief Human Capital Officer to establish CTMS, CTMS, the um, Cyber Talent Management System. When we hear system, you always think that it's an IT system. It's not an IT system. These are the tools available to us for recruitment, retention, training, about ability to uh, ensure that we're uh, using the flexibilities available to us to be a uh, employer of choice in cybersecurity. But when you start looking at that, these are no longer CIO discussions, they're C-suite discussions. So we start talking about uh, the cloud. No longer is the cloud and IT discussion. It's about how do we provide credibility for the services that we're delivering? How do we communicate those to uh, the OMB? How do we show value? Also allowing uh, there to be an incubation centers. Incubation centers, we talked about this for uh, next generation techs. Allowing uh, organizations such as SBA to be going out and do proof of concepts and allow that information to come through the federal CIO council so we can learn. And what we see is we're finding we're all within the same ecosystems. We all operate data centers. We all have the responsibility to compute and transport data. But there are different ideas about how we start securing it. So if you start seeing the themes from OMB, the modernization, data-driven decision-making, cloud smart, being able to reduce uh, legacy debt, but focusing on the people, these are the kind of conversations that we're having within DHS to be able to ensure that we're really uh, uh, moving ourselves to the next generation of workforce, next generation of ecosystems that we'll need to be able to deliver to our customers. Let's talk a little bit about the cyber talent management system, and, and I really do appreciate the fact you said it's not an IT system because mm -hmm. you know the vendors would come up next to you and, and say, "You'll bowl me over." I have a system for you. Yep. <laughs> but but no, this is something I think your Chico has talked about before, Angie Bailey. Yes, she has. What's the progress you're making with it? Give us maybe a, a, the next update of, of is it working? Right? Are you in the DHS CIO's office saying, "Okay, 
Angie, we have a need for this type of skill set, and does it run through this system of, of, of steps, of tools, or are you just still getting it together? Um, yes, yes, and yes. Yes, yes, and yes. So that's easy. What it is is um, uh, cyber is not an easily defined skill set. <laughs> it's not an easily defined talent. It's not an easily defined uh, source of expertise where you can just go out and find that talent because it's a very broad. We've got uh, security architecture as a critical need. We have uh, cyber forensics as a critical need. Cyber analysts, we have uh, ability to do remediation. So there, there are different degrees of requirements. Also, if you look at DHS, everybody needs a different level of capability. If you look at uh, CISA, mm -hmm. CISA has a broader requirement for talent maybe than an internal organization such as management or any of the operating components. In addition, we, if you look at the type of uh, skills that we have, we have a different, uh, let's just say, level of depth of talent at certain components. So what it is, we are all identifying critical need positions. We're identifying those in our uh, organizational structures, communicating that to the Chico, and allowing us to say, here are the critical needs for uh, a large management CIO organization, here are for an organization CISA, and allowing organizations as the operating components to be able to skill set and, and focus in those needs. In addition, it's allowing an open conversation about how do we start recruiting the talent, how, how's the best to inform positions that we have available, as well as being able to say how do we allow there to be a matriculation of that talent across the organization so they can grow and develop and be able to be, provide the broadest capability in cyber talent for the entire department. So a lot of conversations going on, and you know, I got to be honest, they're very robust. Okay, I want to get your questions, but I have a follow-up from Margie real quick, and this is in, in the same vein of the cyber workforce piece, because the, the the it's not just the cyber workforce, but I think the workforce more generally is, the, yes. is really going to yes. what make IT modernization go. Yes. There was a law, and you'll forgive me, maybe it was 2016, that required uh, OPM and OMB and, and, and others to look across and say, well, what's the status of the, I think it's the cyber workforce, but maybe it's broader than the, the IT workforce. And there's been some, I think, back and forth, him and hauling over how to define it. And can you just give me the broad sense, the Reskilling Academy as an example, is that part of this effort to say, okay, where are we today and how do we fill those gaps? I mean, do you have a sense of what the gaps are? Actually, I think when we talk to our community, uh, the most critical gaps are in the, uh, the futuristic. AI, machine learning? Yes. <laughs> uh, there are, in every cycle, as you move into uh, a revolution, okay, this happens to be the digital revolution. We had the industrial revolution. We've had all kinds of revolutions over time in society that changed the workforce because there's a new element that's introduced. In this particular case, uh, the automation and the an appropriate use, which is why I emphasized it in my opening remarks, is going to be uh, one of those revolutionary items. Uh, and we're going to need the talent and the expertise that is going to be able to work with uh, analytics in a way that they've never been used before. So uh, people who are in data science, people who have um, the cyber skills on the data side to make sure that we're looking at our data architectures and our 
initiation of what we're trying to achieve with an eye toward cybersecurity, with an eye toward, you know, not putting uh, inappropriate data sets together. I talked about, hey, we want to solve holistic problems, and we want to uh, look at how these data sets work together to, uh, to address those problems, but there's privacy aspects in that. There are mosaic effects, you know, you can't put two or three data sets together and not have it uh, reach an obvious conclusion that could be used in an inappropriate way. So all of those things have to be considered. That requires cyber talent, it requires uh, data scientists, and then the last piece of the equation are the, um, the folks that do uh, DevOps and development and making sure that, uh, that we understand uh, that we have moved into a realm where we don't deliver IT in the way we used to deliver it and uh, these, these abilities to work in, uh, you know, with minimal viable product, to work in the DevOps environment, to use the kinds of coding that we do today, and to unwind all of that infrastructure that Steve talked about. Human um, design development. Too. Human design, uh, you're putting the user in the middle of the conversation mm -hmm. constantly is the only way you achieve success. We have to take a break. You just heard from Stephen Rice, the Deputy CIO at the Homeland Security Department, and then from Margie Graves, the Deputy CIO of the government, speaking on a panel I moderated at the recent HARC IT Modernization Summit. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. This week, I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent ATARC IT Modernization Summit. In this segment, the panelists, Margie Graves, the Deputy CIO of the Government, and Stephen Rice, the Deputy CIO of the Homeland Security Department, take questions from the audience. Brian Zimmer, a Selective Service System. I have been uh, critical of the drive to the cloud because I've had early, I had early experience with it before you all discovered it. I was in agencies that tried it. And there's a great deal of difficulty controlling the quality of the vendor services, sure. there still are no criteria from OMB for evaluation things like that you are advocating, such as cloud email, mm -hmm. such as cloud uh, backup. So I can look at your criteria and I can look at failed cloud activities and see that there's no correlation. What I'm seeing here is I'm seeing an incomplete rule set for things that you seem to be advocating, in fact, officially advocate, like the new data center from OMB about cloud email. There's a lot of unknown territory with the cloud. Let's be honest, there's availability, there's an architectural discussion, there is a uh, ability to understand contractually how are you gonna enter into those agreements, how are you gonna move. There's a talent management uh, uh, quandary there about how do you ensure you have the right skill sets to monitor. And then there's the basic, how do you monitor the capability, ensure not that it's penetrated, but that you don't misconfigure it and open yourself up to an exposure that may not have been planning for. What we are finding is uh, eyes wide open. Eyes wide open is, this is not a discussion about just the CIO and say, God bless us, let's go to the cloud. It's a conversation of understanding the legacy debt that exists with the infrastructure that you have. Understanding the contractual limitations that you have at some of the services where, whether you own and operate a data center, lease a data center, or you have legacy debt in there that you just can't maximize the efficiency. This is a multi-dimensional discussion when we talk about cloud at DHS. It's not about the cloud. It also reverts me back to understand how do I transport my data to the cloud? It understands where is my data going to be transported to. There's physical and physical issues for us to understand what's the proximity to my user community to the cloud so I don't introduce latency. And then how do I ensure that I'm, I'm looking at the skill sets necessary to operate in the cloud, but also how am I communicating the long-term intentions with my contracting community, how am I going to acquire it, 
how I understand with my CFO community how I'm going to have to afford to be able to get into the cloud. And three is how do we understand long term how that, that risk to mission may be, uh, let's say, putting pressure, maybe not even fully understood moving forward. So I, I can't say that it's a nirvana, but what we're seeing here is uh, um, I don't know if we'll be full cloud, we'll be more of a hybrid model. Thank you. The only part of your response that actually directed yourself to the questions that I raised mm -hmm. was the last one called, which we would call enterprise risk. Mm -hmm. Where does this go? What have you just given up to your vendor? What, what does it matter to you if your vendor fails? Oh, absolutely. Okay, that doesn't seem to be addressed by OMB's current directives, nor do the rules, nor do the interconnectivity issues. How do you ensure that the line connection to your cloud provider is even clean? How do you know it's not being intercepted? If you're sending highly secure data and PII through it, exactly what are the quality controls that OMB and GSA are applying to the vendors that you provide contracts to us through? Those are serious questions, and that's not what I'm hearing from you. I'm not hearing that response. Well, I'm hearing this generic management stuff. Well, no, I'm going to tell you, this is also changing your architectural discussion. You know you're now moving in into an untrusted environment. If your security architecture is implicit that you only tr trust an unsecured data at risk or data that's in transit in a particular environment, you have to th look at that architectural from a security and throw it out the window. You have to start moving to what we start talking of zero trust network because you're in an untrusted environment uh, from a security perspective. Also, you're an untrusted because you have a contractual relationship. You have to ensure that that, that provider is, is in a healthy state, that they are there to support you, and that you have an opportunity to monitor that workload. So when we start talking about this, I understand my security boundaries on my on-prem data centers. But it's not a conversation of, wow, we're going to the cloud. It's how am I going to this, the cloud to ensure I'm, I access the cloud, contract with the cloud, afford the cloud, monitor the cloud, and I'm able to exit that cloud when necessary. So the conversation, it's a holistic change in philosophy when we do this. So the catch is, no one's going to force you to the cloud. You're going to have to make some hard decisions, because I can tell you, you don't have enough money to pay for everything you got. We all are seeing that. You're going to have to make risk-based determinations of how you're delivering the best services to your customer possible. And you're going to have to be able to look at the risk equation differently. It's forcing us to think differently. Is, is it nirvana? Absolutely not. But it's a multi-dimensional conversation. It's much more than the CIO. It's not just from OMB. It's everybody has to be part of this discussion. Yeah, so I wanted to follow up. Um, I think the real intent of, of Cloud Smart is to encourage you to look at the appropriate systems should be placed in the appropriate arenas for their security requ requirements as well as for the mission su support that they provide. Uh, Cloud Smart is intended to set a direction. However, the way that we govern the actual implementation of these things is through the governance and the, um, and the contractual mechanisms that we share with GSA. So for example, I was just at the EIS, Governance Board EIS, very big contract. We are using it to modernize our network systems and our ability to actually embrace current technology in that world. By the same token, there are a lot of real roll-up-your-sleeves activities that have to be done in order to do that appropriately, both on the contractual side as well as on the technical side. Uh, that gets done through those governance boards where every agency has representation at the table, and it's not necessarily what the, what's written on paper as opposed to we meet on a regular basis, uh, generally weekly with GSA and once a month with all the agencies to, to clear the debris 
and answer the questions um, so that we address each agency's situation individually because you can only do so much with the higher level guidance. There are individual implementation challenges and you have to meet each agency where they are because those are different. When I was in Steve's role at DHS, I used to get very uh, disturbed by OMB promulgating something that was one measure across the entirety of the federal government. It does not work that way. Mm -hmm. There are different levels of capability of implementation, of talent that's being brought to the equation, and of contractual mechanisms that exist in every agency. You have to look across those and say, what's my best recipe uh, for success and then in, in the areas that are faulty or are lacking in each agency What we do with those governance boards is we try to insert assistance uh, That can be many different kinds in nature uh, to help them Get to a, a you know, a, uh, I guess you'd call it a, a baseline, a baseline. Okay to where they can actually have success in that arena. All right, we have another question here. Good morning, this question goes back to the conversation about talents and the skills. I heard uh, Mr. Rice use the term uh, future workforce. Yes. So how are you guys looking at the talent that you need, short term and long term? What model are you using to say, hey, we need these kind of people with these kind of skills? Yeah, well, in the larger workforce strategy, and again, Suzette talked about, we're, we're kind of a subset of that in the IT arena uh, because we have a significant need, and a lot of our significant needs are based in that futuristic view of what um, the skills and capabilities are going to be uh, based on the changes that are occurring in the technology world. But we are partnering uh, directly with the Department of Labor and um, their statistical uh, analysis group and um, ensuring that we are incorporating um, the changes that would have to be made in the way that we look at job series, in the way that we actually hire, because now the way that we hire is somewhat based in a, a legacy approach, uh, which may need to change to um, assessment of capabilities and aptitude as opposed to um, resumes and keywords. And that's something that we all own as a community. It has to be done by changing job series codes, by changing descriptions, by changing the way you actually conduct the hiring process. All of these things are in the mix. And it can only be done with OPM, with Department of Labor, and with other entities across the federal government that are um, invested in making those changes that will facilitate this kind of, of uh, change. So Margie talked at the macro level, if I could take it internal a little bit. Agree with everything Margie's saying, but what's forcing us is there's a lot of discussion. So working internal to the workforce, well, you have to tell them where you're going. And if, if, if they're not hearing cloud, and preparing to understand how to, how to work within the cloud, um, we're not doing a good enough job to be able to articulate that. Two is, um, you know, we've got a lot of people can get comfortable. 
if you've worked 10, 15 years in the same operating model, and now you're starting to get into a consumption-based model and you're starting to govern technologies, as we discussed here, going on the cloud, it takes a different understanding of the contractual oversight. It takes an understanding of the consumption of finances. It understands also the, the, uh, the responsibility to monitor workloads in a cloud environment. And to start talking about from a cyber perspective, uh, really educating the Chico community of the width of cyber being able to articulate within a federated community where each uh, centers might have unique uh, uh, skill sets or needs, and then being able to, art to articulate that across the entire department. And then finally, it's, it's, it's setting a standard. How do we understand that you know, we want to be able to have long-term investment with our personnel? How do we ensure that we're allowing and understanding the matriculation of people as they move across DHS so they get a wider uh, capability to be able to support whatever our mission takes us? So the catch is, yes, conforming the policy, understanding the policy, understanding the di dialogues, being able to have the maneuvering room to be able to execute, but also opening those levels of dialogue to make sure you understand tactically what the problem is and then strategically where you're going so everybody's on the same sheet of music. Do you know what one of the, the most important um uh, disciplines that can easily transfer into cyber? Musicians. <laughs> we talked about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So looking awesome. at those non-traditional or people who haven't been coming through that discipline their entire lives, you know, like I started out as a scientist, I'm going to continue to be a scientist. You know, the whole STEM aperture needs to be opened up because I think a lot of people self-select out of including themselves in that opportunity because they don't see themselves that way. And, and what we need to encourage is, is non-traditional you know, disciplines should, could be brought into this realm. And, and Steve, I've got a question here, a couple questions. But Steve, in many ways, what you're talking about seemed like is almost that idea of the cadre that could go from, hey, we have this skill set of data analytics in CBP. Now they could help out ICE, or they could help out FEMA. It's almost like that's where you're, you're talking toward. Absolutely. What we talk about is there's value in understanding the particular mission. My work at TSA when I, I spent time there is you get to understand the, the mission to a, a, a deep degree. But when you come to, to management, you have a wide portfolio, so you, be able, you need to be able to be a very wide IT professional. The same theory goes in, in, in a cyber or cloud strategy architecture. We need depth. We need depth of mission. But I need to be able to have uh, talents and skills available so people can uh, stay engaged and be able to widen themselves to support the broader DHS mission. For, for one thing, it's, it's important for delivery of service, but it's extremely important for succession planning. The, 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 the skills necessary for the next generation of the mission are going to require wide understanding of technology, data, modernization, and different contract relations for delivering services. All right, another question. Margie, both you and Suzette talked about data strategy. I'm asking a question as a citizen with 37 years in the private sector, currently a federal employee, and it's not directly related to that work. As you talk to synergy of bringing together disparate data sets, what is being done with the legislative branch that ensures we understand where the data comes from and we reach out and include that properly in the decision making, both from a policy point of view and subsequently from an operational point of view. As we embark upon what I feel is an is a enormous opportunity to use data in appropriate ways to, uh, to drive policy, to drive decisions, to drive programs 
in the federal government that actually solve our, our bigger problems. We have to be conscious of, to be all-inclusive of all the data that would be applicable to that particular issue and that we do not create unintended bias uh, either through not vetting the quality of the source or um, putting uh, faith in analytics that may be a little more black box. We need to know what's in the box. We need to understand what kind of, of machine learning is being is occurring behind that curtain so that we make sure that we don't inadvertently create a bias that would lead us to ultimately a wrong decision. That's the new challenge, and the old ones still exist, exactly, on the AI machine learning bias, as well as source and access to yes. quality research of, with data. Yes, and that's, that's one of the things I was discussing with the statistical agencies, because so many people want access to that particular data, because that's the rich part of the equation. But understanding uh, that there is a reason why uh, certain protections exist around it, and it's to prevent the exact things that we were just talking about. And did your point go one step further? Is Are you guys having any conversations yet with the House Senate folks about not just the data strategy per se, but whether there needs to be changes in the law? Or are you guys, that, that comes maybe a part of the implementation I think that's that's uh, will begin more in 19. I mean, there are uh, opening opening conversations, but not anything definitive at this point. And OSTP is also very involved in that, as is NSC, because there are so many aspects from a emerging technology standpoint on the OSTP side, and from a cybersecurity standpoint on the NSC side, that we have to make sure that that all of that's connected when we have that conversation. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent ATARC IT Modernization Summit. My guests on that panel were Stephen Rice, the Deputy CIO at the Homeland Security Department, and Margie Graves, the Deputy CIO of the federal government. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. This week I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent ATARC IT Modernization Summit. In this segment of the show, the panelists, Margie Graves, the Deputy CIO of the Government, and Steve Rice, the Deputy CIO at the Homeland Security Department, continue to take questions from the audience. Good morning. Uh, my name is Julius Nudolfer, and I'm an instructor for the Data Center Energy Practitioner Program. And if I read the revised memorandum of the one that's pending, subject to comment, uh, it essentially says that you feel that the existing data center fleet has been properly addressed in terms of efficiency, and you're dropping metrics like PUE because you're moving everything toward the cloud. Do you really foresee that no one will have a, a federal data center in any of the agencies within five years? The question is uh, the availability and the, the optimization is really the heart of the question. Well, it's all. It's maintaining fe remaining federal data centers and continuing to rely on them. Mm -hmm. Will they exist in five years? Yes. There was no <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, there was no intent to say that we're going to be 100% in the cloud. I think what you heard from Suzette this morning and what I'd like to interpret for, for you out of the, the, the mechanisms that we're putting forward is uh, what we found was people were concentrating on how many doors got closed, how many lights got shut off, uh, you know, as the measure, as opposed to um, that roadmap which tells you, here's my set of applications. Those applications fall into these portfolios. 
this portfolio is standardized and could use a commercial service and therefore is appropriate to move to a cloud, like email. This portfolio, I might need to have some things that are in my purview in, uh, and then I need to have some things that are in the cloud and I interact between them with the hybrid solution. And then ultimately there are some things that those are the crown jewels and we need to keep them here. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't, I see a continued ratcheting down of what falls in that final bucket and, and making a real strong case that that should be the case. However, uh, there will always be some hybrid environments. There will always be some on-prem. I don't foresee that everything gets done in the cloud. It, it's all about that application rationalization that we were talking about, your roadmap, your modernization roadmap, how you appropriately use the technologies, regardless of where they reside, to make sure that you are, are meeting the mission and being cyber secure. I think we're trying to move the, the preponderance up here. You know, so start at the enterprise, try to get everything enterprise that you can get, then get your shared services, try to get everything that you can get into that bucket, and then and only then you move down to the, oh, this is a really intricate one-off thing that needs to be protected in this way. So we're, I think, because we're moving from CapEx to OpEx, uh, which is better financially for us also, uh, that the push is to, is to move the needle, not to completely obliterate. Uh, so. And, and Steve, really, you're, in DHS, you guys have those two data centers. And even though Dr. Zangardi, the CIO, has talked a lot about moving as much to the cloud sure. as possible, he knows and you know, and I think every agency knows, you're never going to get rid of everything in terms of the data centers. We've never read the OMB directives that say close all your data centers. What we've said is you need to be prepared to start operating in the cloud. But um, there needs to be an analysis. And we use the terms mission essential systems and high value assets. Margie calls them the crown jewels. Mm -hmm. At the end mm -hmm. of the day, we do not foresee that we will be 100% cloud. There's no way. I just don't see it. There will be uh, a level of risk analysis conducted to ensure that we understand where we are computing and storing. But there will be determinations that are made but based on the, the imperative of the mission that we may want to pay a premium for certain services to remain on the data center because they're inherently uh, delivering services that are for the nation that we just don't want to rely on a, a commercial uh, cloud provider and, and provide that risk. So there will be a hybrid model of DHS, and I'm not aware mm -hmm. of anybody that's looking to close entirely the data centers. All right, another question. Yeah, thank you. Um, Clark Thomason with MITRE. Most uh, in the technology world right now, a shocking thing is most people see cloud as a legacy. So the question is, as I go around a lot of the sponsors that we work with, good old-fashioned system engineering and risk reduction is where I hear a lot of concerns. Cyber is great, cyber is important, but good old-fashioned lifting and moving and system engineering. And Tell me a little bit, what's, what's, the, uh, what's the focus on that as we try to reduce mission to support mission, reduce risk, excuse me, to support the mission? And good old-fashioned risk reduction, engineering, that sort of thing. I gotta be honest, it's, I hate to say it starts right at the rationalization, the planning phase. Mm -hmm. You know, when we talk, I mean, it, it, it sounds kind of cavalier, but it's not. It's like moving your house. You know, before you start moving, you, under, you do kind of an inventory of what you're going to move. Anything you're not gonna take to the new house, you, you, you donate it, you remove it. Anything you move into the new house, you 
you label it. You make sure you understand what's in the box, where the box is going to go, so you have a great inventory. When we start talking about data center migration going out to the cloud, it gives us a great inventory. It allows us to understand where we're deduplicating, and it, it, it allows us to start understanding how we can be wiser of where we're going to compute and store so we have better ability to do analytics, be able to share data. But the, the understanding is there, there's still a lot of roll up your sleeves, basic engineering, basic design, basic operations that goes to the cloud. I agree with you with the premise that it is a legacy technology, but it, um, but at the end of the day, it, it opens doors that we had not had available to us. But it opens doors for us to allow be much more efficient in the delivery of services and allows us to be much more efficient on how we uh, consume those services. So it, while it's not modern, it is a modern way of thinking about how we become efficient in the delivery of those capabilities to a degree I don't think we've used in the past. I think the core of your question is the difference between automation and digitization. And what we're encouraging is for, as people go through these roadmap discussions, is they look at their mission processes and the systems that support them with a jaundiced eye and saying, how could I completely reimagine my delivery of this? Not how can I nibble around the edges and tweak it, but um, you know, is it automated taxi dispatch or is it Uber or Lyft? You know, one is, okay, I've automated some more things within my currently existing approach to how I deliver. And the other is, I should revolutionize transportation, personal transportation, right? So there's a difference between those two. And, and taking the um, opportunity when you're doing this roadmap analysis to have your engineers in the equation to tell you what the art of the possible can be allows people to um, not be constrained when they're thinking about the next generation of what their mission delivery operating model might be. So it's, it's the combination of those two together that really gives you such an uplift. And, and I think the other, the finer point, and if I could help out maybe a second, is the systems engineering piece, and, and you guys have addressed this just this past week in the high value asset draft policy, requiring agencies to follow a NIST systems engineering piece. So I think that's, is it that, the, that basic requirement of, of, okay, you're not just going to lift and shift, if you will, but, right. but what is the, and I think Steve addressed this a little bit, the architecture behind right. the system, and, and is it supply chain secure? Is it have certain requirements as you know as, as outlined in this i mean i think that's the key piece to the hva when i read the draft policy right that's one of the many things that stood out to me is 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 how do you and i think that gets maybe the other gentleman's question as well is how do you ensure that agencies are following that NIST specification beyond shaking your policy and says do it because <laughs> that that usually works well in my opinion <laughs> yeah it's, it's good it's good solid foundational <laughs> approach uh, that has been proven and, and stood the test of time. Uh, it changes, and, and NIST changes it accordingly, you know, with their updates, but um, it's the right approach. That's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This week, I played excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent ATARC IT Modernization Summit. My guests were Margie Graves, the Deputy CIO of the Government, and Stephen Rice, the Deputy CIO at the Homeland Security Department. I'm Jason Miller, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.